0: Hello and welcome to Over the Edge. Today's episode features an interview between Matt Trefiro and Galil Zeno, CEO and founder of NetFoundry. Galil has been a founder and executive for the past 15 years, leading teams that developed the world's largest VoIP network and built global voice and video communication services. In this interview, Galil discusses NetFoundry's mission to enable innovation, the importance of zero-trust networking, his views on the future of edge technology, and much more. But before we get into it, here is a brief word from our sponsors.
1: Over the Edge is brought to you by the generous sponsorship of Catchpoint, NetFoundry, Ori Industries, Packet, Seagate, Vapor.io, and ZenLayer. The featured sponsor of this episode of Over the Edge is NetFoundry. What do IoT apps, edge compute, and edge data centers have in common? They need simple, secure networking. Unfortunately, SD WAN and VPN are square pegs in round holes. NetFoundry solves the headache, providing software only, zero trust networking embeddable in any device or app. Learn more at netfoundry.io.
0: And now, please enjoy this interview between Galil Zeno, CEO and founder of NetFoundry, and your host, Matt Trafiro.
2: Hello, everybody. My name is Matt Trefiro. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer of Vapor IO, and I'm also the Chair of the State of the Age Project at the Linux Foundation. We're here with Galil Zeno, the CEO of Net Foundry. Hi, Galil. How are you doing?
3: I'm great, Matt. How are you
2: doing? I'm doing terrific. I'm doing terrific. You know, before we talk about what Net Foundry does and networking and all that, I'm just curious. I mean, you're an engineer by background, a, a CEO by practice. How did you get into technology?
3: Yeah, I got in the way a lot of folks do, by walking right into the fire. Uh, we used to call it the steam room or the boiler room. It was 98 back then. Voice over IP was the, the fire room, right? We were shoveling coal onto the fire to
2: create. That's stuff. early days for voice over IP.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Company ITXE, we became the global leader in, in VoIP, built the world's largest VoIP network. No better way to jump into the fire and get to learn technology.
2: Were you a founder at that company?
3: I was not a founder. I came in as a intern in the network operations
2: center. Eventually, became... <laughs> and they literally threw you into the boiler room. <laughs> oh yeah,
3: that that was the boiler room. <laughs> no better way to learn VoIP. Eventually, was was CTO there before we, we we did an IPO, we did a secondary, and then eventually sold after the crash.
2: Now, for for people that aren't familiar with NetFoundry, you're actually uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of Tata Communications. Can you tell us a little bit about Tata and how how NetFoundry came about? It's a really interesting story, I think.
3: Yeah. We were part of an incubator-type program called Shape the Future. A lot of big corporates, as you know, run these type of incubator programs to take moonshot-type opportunities. I think the criteria... For shape the future or something like it has to be a 200 million dollar type opportunity in that scenario tata acts as like the vc and you then have the opportunity to leave your position start a new company build it completely outside of the mothership um so you know we did everything from scratch which is actually a very smart and very good thing from for Tata to do. There's other incubators who tried to kind of, you know, leverage internal synergies, blah, 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 right? That's, that's so really so
2: you were an employee of Tata Communications and somehow you got involved in this program and you pitched it internally. Is that how that happened?
3: Yeah, prior to, absolutely. I built a video conferencing web WebRTC business and built NetFoundry officially as a subsidiary starting last year, meaning, you know, a Delaware C Corp, but still obviously working very closely within the
2: ecosystem to develop what we're developing. So let's talk a little about that. So, I mean, what what does NetFoundry do?
3: Yeah, at the kind of base layer that we enable innovation. Networking gets in the way of innovation. (laughs) You know, I've been doing it 20 years. It's difficult. And if we do our job, we take the networking headache out of the equation.
2: Yeah, so let's let's unpack all that. Let's talk about it. And since this is an edge show, let's let's bring edge into this. Let's actually take the leap that I'm hoping our industry is going to take and just recognize that the edge is going to become part of the internet, right? It's it's going to be part of this global end-end to fabric. And obviously having a network that connects workloads that are running in the core, potentially on multiple clouds, to you know, services that might be running in regional data centers, to services that might be running in edge data centers, to services that might actually be running on a device or in an on-premise data center. And you've got a diversity of equipment, a diversity of opinions on networking, all of that. Like if I wanted to build that application, let's say it's an AI application. I'm, doing, I'm building my models, I'm training my models in the core and I'm sending my, my inference uh, runtimes uh, out towards the edge and I've got all these workloads running. I want them connected to a network if I didn't have NetFoundry, what would I have to do? And then if I have NetFoundry, how does that make my job that much easier?
3: Yeah, I'll start with the latter. With NetFoundry, we wanna let you get whatever internet access you can get, 4G, 5G, Wi-Fi, ethernet, any internet access, and you should be done at that point, right? That internet connection should give you the agility, the reach, the security, the performance, All the factors that you just articulated, Matt, that basically enable continuous compute to happen in the back end. Some compute's going to happen locally, some at the edge data center, some in the cloud. The networking piece then becomes solved for you. Without us, without NetFoundry, we see two predominant alternatives. If it's a mobile-type connection, you can take what's called a private business APN, which is essentially just the equivalent of a VPN, The APN basically tells the mobile carrier, someone like Verizon, AT&T, et cetera, it says, hey, you know, this isn't just Joe Public. This is Matco. And when Matco comes to the tower, I want you to route it in a VPN, usually through a couple other locations. I want you to route it to Matco's enterprise assets in some private data center, in some cloud, wherever it might be. So you stitch together a whole bunch of VPNs and you kind of, get a, a private network by virtue of dedicated circuits, it works and it can be the right solution for some people. On the other hand, if you have the type of application where nailing up a bunch of circuits and now all of a sudden your application starts to move or go multi-cloud, it's containerized, uh, it evolves, and now you gotta kind of redo all those VPNs, well, that's a problem. And that causes friction for you and it limits your innovation. So our goal is Take that VPN mess out of the picture. You plug into the internet, you're done at that point.
2: And so, so I have a relationship with, with NetFoundry. It's at a monthly fee for your service based on how much I use. How does that work?
3: Yeah, it's a SaaS type model. And just to take it one step further, Matt, your relationship may be with a, a solution provider who has put NetFoundry into their solution so that you're buying a solution that already has a networking Built into it, and you may just go to your provider's single pane of glass, so to speak, their web console, whatever it is, where you're kind of putting together, defining to your solution, and then then the end, There's some APIs back to NetFoundry to make the network magic happen.
2: Right. I assume that this is all programmatic. I can I can construct and deconstruct and reconfigure this NetFoundry network on the fly. Absolutely. Yeah, and in fact, you know, you one of the big trends in in edge, and I think it's a It comes out of a couple of of things. One is just the need to respond to network conditions in real time, right? And also the recognition that you're dealing with probably multiple orders of magnitude, more complexity in applications and networking to the point where you actually need programs to do these things dynamically. So it seems having the ability to provision whatever global network I need, is what I'm hearing. Uh, through an API or multiple global networks, if I need them through an API is exactly what you need. And then just as I provision them, I get billed like I'm spinning up ec two instances on Amazon.
3: Yeah. Usage, usage based, Matt, uh, in the SaaS model. And you're absolutely right. We think the ability to automate, to be able to programmatically impact those networks, that's kind of like table stakes, right? We believe in an edge world that's extremely dynamic. And does have a need for things like ephemeral networks, you need that as a starting point. And then to go to a step further, having that integrated with the rest of the stack so that the end customer can essentially buy what we call a turnkey solution stack, that's where it really gets interested, right? Because I mean, let's face it, edge is not simple. Edge is difficult. They have enough problems.
2: Yeah. Well let's let's talk, let's let's put a pin in this and come back to your global network and let's talk about, you know, how what challenges you see at the edge and you know how Net Foundry views you know some of these solutions, whether it's it's packaging up solutions with partners or it's just the the base technology you're you're looking to innovate around.
3: Absolutely. So we probably have some irrational exuberance here, but bear with me. And that's part of it, right? That the ability to innovate in ways we haven't innovated before. For example, access to, to ultra low latency compute, ability to do local distributed processing. What it means by definition is those applications don't exist today, which means the support structures around those applications don't exist today, which means that the maintenance management, et cetera, it's all new. And so we're going into uncharted territory, which is exactly why we started Net Foundry, right? We want to enable folks to go into uncharted territory and at least try to take the, the networking piece out of the wild, wild west, so to speak. Meanwhile, on the edge itself, I think sometimes, you know, folks envision like, you know, a world-class data center, you know, which has a high degree of engineering for things even like, you know, cooling, <laughs> you know, things we kind of take for granted, uh, unless you walk into one and, and you're quite cold all of a sudden, you know, try to put that into a retail store, right? it's not gonna happen, right? You're gonna do some amount of compute in the retail store, you're going to have to work around the constraints. You don't have a full-time IT staff there. You don't have AB power. You don't have the proper cooling, et cetera, et cetera. And then you're going to have to do a whole lot of compute in other places, edge data centers, core, cloud, et cetera. It really is a continuum. I, I think, Matt, sometimes if we, if we try to look at edge like in a vacuum and say, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do all my edge computing in the corner of my store. <laughs> that, that, yeah. That's probably not really the right vision.
2: That sounds like on-premises computing.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. And so I, I think that's kind of, you know, it's a sort of a fake fake edge computing. You know, my my view is that, uh, well, what I started with is that, you know, the, the edge is just becoming part of the internet. And I think, you know, I don't mean to dismiss some of the really awesome innovations that are happening on the device or user side of the network, you know, autonomous cars and, you know, robotics and IoT devices. But really, the power of those innovations is unlocked when it connects to, the rest of the innovations that are happening at the cloud, including the networking solutions like you guys are offering.
3: Yeah, that's that's it. It's that distributed compute model,
2: right? Yeah. And as you say, the other thing about distributed compute is it creates a lot of complexity. And if I, can, if I can take some of the complexity out of that equation by offloading it to you and your engineering staff, that could be a really attractive value proposition. I certainly get that. Let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned a global network. And that sounds to me like you have equipment In the field, what does your network look like?
3: Yeah, uh, so we have what we call routers in a non technical sense. So, So forget about like a full Cisco Juniper Alcatel Lucent router, right? Envision software that we built in house and we spin up and spin down on demand in like containerized and virtualized type form functions on commodity hardware globally. Edge data centers, infrastructure as a service, multiple tier one backbones. These routers, Matt, are just an internet overlay. And the advantage they provide is if your application now needs to go from point A to point B, and more realistically, as you just articulated, point A, B, C, D, E, F, G, -G, yeah. (laughs)
2: yeah,
3: It better have a number of paths to get there, right? There is internet weather.
2: Yeah, root diversity is really important. Exactly. Absolutely.
3: That's what those routers provide. So, our endpoints, our software endpoints natively have the ability to continually look at all the different routes available between those different points in real time and essentially readdress traffic towards the ASs, the autonomous systems, and the routers that are providing the lowest latency, the lowest packet loss, jitter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, essentially, there can be a lot of internet weather out there. But you can still be there in San Diego, enjoying perfect weather across a diverse set of paths.
2: Yeah. So, so let me let me say back to you what I what I think I heard for the. See if we can triangulate this for the audience, citizen experts in in networking. So, you, you mentioned that you know my job is to get onto the internet, right? And the internet today works, right? It's got private routes, BGP routes, IXs, all this stuff. But as you say, it has all this complexity that you may not want to deal with, and it's a public network and not a private network, and I might want a private network. And what you're saying is like, instead of building a private network by literally dragging my own cables around, which I guess would be the ultimate in private networks, you're saying, "Let's, let's run some secure software at critical intersection points, points where the traffic comes off of one network and onto another network so that you can route it through software. And then, so you must have... These these containerized workloads, you know, potentially running all over the planet, and maybe just spinning them up based on your customer demand. Because you know, you could be in you could be in a cloud service provider's data center. You could be running on your own hardware somewhere. Is that is that all true? That you're flexible in that way?
3: Absolutely. So we're making mad a big bet on the internet, right? The yeah. internet is the world's largest, most economical, pretty safe bet, I think. Yeah, most resilient network. It's going to keep getting better and better. Lots of people are going to build awesome backbones across that, including the hyperscale cloud players, including lots of other people. And we want to build on top of their innovation.
2: Yeah. Bring a level of flexibility and configuration, dynamic configuration and security that I'm not going to get off the shelf in a standard internet routing model.
3: Exactly. Rather than the other approach, which some people are doing and, and it may make sense, is you try and build your own network and, and make it the best network out there. You use state-of-the-art technology, you buy a lot of bandwidth, a lot of lease lines, a lot of private lines, you use the best to scale up. Your, your name
2: might be Facebook or Google or Amazon, <laughs> but if it's not, you yeah. might want somebody else to have engineered it for you.
3: Yeah, better if, better if you have an overlay that can take advantage of everything those guys build yeah. and everything everyone else builds. So we're not taking a bet, right? If, if, if lots of folks build lots of great networks and they will, then the NetFoundry overlay network becomes that much better, and and kind of the secret sauce there, Matt, to a degree, is the endpoint algorithms, their ability to, in real time, find the best routes. You mentioned BGP, right? BGP runs the internet. It's fantastic. BGP doesn't care too much about latency and packet loss. BGP cares, like, is the route up or not? The tier one carriers, they don't care too much either. They often play what we call hot potato routing. They want to get the packets off their network as fast as humanly possible and hand it to somebody else to keep their cost structures down. So we do the opposite, right? Our algorithms, they do care about packet loss, latency, jitter. They actually keep the traffic on the NetFoundry global overlay as long as humanly possible, right? The exact opposite of, of what the tier ones are going to do. And then we create a very short on ramp and off ramp on either side to deliver that traffic.
2: Yeah. So, so again, if I could say back what I think I heard, is: is you have in software created this global overlay network that relies on lots of other people's equipment and network that they're investing time and energy into. And in addition to allowing me to create these private networks across the different geographies and locations that I want, you're also at the same time creating a diversity of routes. So if a fiber's cut or if, if a router goes sideways, you can route the traffic somewhere else. But I'm also hearing that you're, you're monitoring the quality of the different routes and picking the route that is going, you said best, like what would be the best route? How, what, is a, what is the definition of best in networking in your mind? Or can I specify that as a consumer of your services? Exactly. Can I say I prefer latency, low latency over, over packet loss?
3: Exactly, in fact, we used a similar example the other day, right? It's best is defined by the developer, by the application. So the example I used the other day was, hey, if for some reason you want your packets to circle the planet three times before they get delivered to the destination, you could programmatically do that. <laughs> I found so that really,
2: way. really, I could, I could, I could build a, a business rule that says make sure it goes around three times before. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean your rule might say <laughs> maximize latency and it might loop. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's you know, that's that's kind of a another trend. You look at like the work coming out of the CNCF and folks like that, where you're treating your infrastructure in kind of a declarative way. You're saying, This is what I want, and then you have another system, whether it's the the Kubernetes controller or whatever, trying to bring the system to that that requirement. Is that how you think about it?
3: Yes, because really only the application knows what it needs. And in a declarative manner, it should be able to say, this is what I need, deliver it. And by the way, I might ask you for something else in the next minute or the next hour or the next day. That's why we believe in this kind of distributed compute model this idea of trying to like nail up static VPNs, tunnels, MPLS, SD-WAN, it just can't keep up. It can't scale. It's not agile or portable enough.
2: Especially if you're a software developer,
3: right? Exactly. Not going to happen.
2: Yeah. And, and so can I, can I mix some of my own networks in with your networks? So for example, let's just say between between two cities, I have a dedicated long haul that I paid for a long time ago that works really well and can beat any BGP route that you can give me. Can I say, when going between two of those cities, prefer my private network and, if worst case, route it through whatever resilient, diverse route you've created? Yeah. So we haven't industrialized that yet, Matt. We do have a couple of customers who
3: are doing exactly that for use cases like you described. It could also be things like geofencing, wanting to make sure that certain data stays in certain places and their ability to leverage their network links to do so. So it's not an industrialized, off-the-shelf. Matt can go do it right now, but it is something we've done with a, a few customers in a few special cases.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. What is your viewpoint on the, the state of the edge computing today? You know, I feel it's changed substantially even in the last like eighteen months. But I'm I'm curious what your perspective, where you're seeing the the traction in edge computing.
3: Uh, it, it's awesome. I mean, I can point just to our our two most recent partnerships: Microsoft Azure with, with Stack Edge. And Supermicro. In both cases, our endpoint software is built into their solution so that when that box arrives, the private networking is already built into that. We didn't have to go sell Microsoft or sell Supermicro on that type of concept to give you an idea of how far this has come, right? They actually knew ahead of time hey, we want to take the private networking headache out of the equation, right? We want to be able to embed a net boundary-like solution.
2: We want to sell something that our customer can plug in and have it work.
3: Yeah, and that, and that shows the maturity of the solution. And, and the reason they knew that, they've been doing a lot of pilots, right? And, and one consistent observation that came back was, is hey, we can light up a new edge, you know, really, really quickly. <laughs> uh, you know, like the Microsoft solution, for example, it comes with, with SIMs, it, it comes with everything you need, an embedded mobile core virtualized on the box um, from a few different providers so that folks can have their choice. So you can light up an edge. Uh, Whether that edge is, you know, an industrial site, agriculture, mining somewhere in the field, or whether it's like a retail edge. But then when it time comes time to connect back to the enterprise assets, you know, back to the cloud, back to core, et cetera, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, let's talk about VPN and MPLS. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) And then the conversation dies for a couple months. Right. So yeah, yeah, I think it's just based on our experience, Matt, and, and relatively small sample size, it's come a long, long way. I don't think this would have happened six months ago before people started down the road. Got to a certain point and realized, well, oh, private networking, secure, performant, reliable—that's difficult. I'd like somebody else to do that.
2: Now, let's let's look at one of the examples. One of these Microsoft or Azure stack, you know, edge devices that's that's sitting in in a precision al- agriculture environment. Let's just say, so I have it. It's you know on my premises, right and it's probably connecting to a bunch of devices and sensors that it's doing some local processing on, it's sending stuff up to the cloud, it's doing a bunch of stuff. Does Net Foundry's solution extend all the way to the device, or are you from the super micro box up?
3: Either model. In the case of StackEdge, which it comes with an embedded private 5G-type option, so like here in the U.S., like imagine a CBRS-type deployment giving you a, a private network, which is essentially a LAN, Right. And, and inside that LAN, you have ultra-low latency, security, you have everything you need. Now you have your private CBRS island and you need to connect it to the rest of the world. Now you can do that with the NetFoundry software that's, that's built into that island. You are quite correct, Matt. If you also want to put NetFoundry on the devices, in order to connect the devices, you know, to that stack edge box, you could do the same thing. Oftentimes that problem can be solved in other ways
2: as well. But if my devices all, all have IP addresses and I want them to be part of the end-to-end fabric for whatever reason I'm doing it, you're saying, I, and, and, and what is that? Is that a, is that a, a piece of code that, that you supply me that I put on the device or the device manufacturer push on the device? How does, how does that piece work?
3: Great question. So at the base level, it's simply an SDK that you as an application developer or an OEM or hardware provider can take that SDK and use it to connect basically any type of device. I mean, we connect Pi 3 boards, we, we connect all types of devices with those SDKs. We've gone a step further and then on top of those SDKs, built software endpoints that abstract away the OS. Like, you know, Linux is a little bit different than Mac, is a little bit different than Android, than iOS, than Microsoft in terms of how they process packets as they, you know, they come through the NIC and, and through the chain. So we've just done that work for you, so that if you have Linux, if you have Mac, Windows, whatever, you take essentially our packaged endpoint, and you deploy that on your device or your box. Now, again, in the case of, of the Azure Stack Edge, Supermicro, that's already done for you. But let's say it's a brownfield deployment, and you have a bunch of video cameras. We have a, a customer case like this. You have a bunch of video cameras, and you want to connect those cameras, You know, which are running basically in generic x 86 compute. You want to connect those to the world, then you just put the infantry endpoint on that device
2: the NetFoundry endpoint is... Yeah, it's, a, it's a, a thin client. A piece of software that I compile into my code, is she saying? Yep. All right, that's, that's, that provides a lot of flexibility. All right, let's, let's switch gears a little. You know, one of the things that, that comes up a lot, you know, once you start you know, scratching the surface of edge computing is security. I'm guessing you have uh, some opinions on security. Could, could you describe the challenges that edge computing creates for people that care about security?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, a lot of these environments were offline to begin with, especially if we're talking about OT type environments, manufacturing, etc. Even if they're online, then it's usually something like a retail store with like a T1 connected to. <laughs> I haven't heard
2: that word in a while. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, we we see them all the time, <laughs> uh, or E1s around the world. You know, when you start opening those edges up to the world with internet connections. You need to do so in what we call a secure by design manner, like day two security, like put a firewall up, not going to work. These, in our opinion, require built-in security. So just to give kind of the quick picture, you know, traditionally, these enterprises, the way they did security was dedicated boxes, dedicated wires, right? It's like the bank vault approach, you know? Good luck trying to get into my bank vault. I'm going to make it really difficult for you, right? That's at the end of the day, what VPN and SD-WAN do. It made sense. It made sense when there was like one door into that bank vault. Well, now, like as you articulated that, now there's like hundreds or thousands or millions of doors. And they're moving. And they're moving. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, So good luck trying to build a bank vault, you know, in every one of those locations, so that's what we do from a security perspective. And in, in
2: physics… What's the alternative to the bank vault? How, how do you think about and solve for that?
3: Yeah, actually, you know what, Matt? It, you know, I think it's fairly simple. It's what we do in the physical world, right? When you go to the airport, well, and even though most folks aren't going to the airport right now… <laughs> I don't
2: know. What is, what is that? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, you're going to identify yourself, and it's going to be authenticated and authorized before you can even get past TSA, Right. You know, people don't understand who don't do networking. Like in an SD-WAN or VPN, if you're a packet and you've managed to get onto that network, you're in the bank vault. You, you have free reign. You haven't been identified, authenticated, authorized. Why? Because in traditional networking, you couldn't do it. You didn't have the controls necessary. You had things like I described before with proprietary hardware, custom circuits, dedicated circuits. Net Foundry building from the scratch and, and other zero trust networking providers building from scratch, what we do is our endpoint that you were asking about earlier. What that endpoint is gonna do when the application says, hey, I wanna talk to a service in Azure, right? I wanna talk to a telemetry service. I wanna report some data on a sensor. Our software is gonna say, that's nice. (laughs) Let me first authenticate you, right? Determine who you are, verify that. We do it by way of a bi-directional certificate authentication certificate in, embedded in our solution. So private key, public key, extremely secure, extremely difficult to spoof. Uh, we have some endpoint hardware root of trust type solutions with certain vendors um, that make that even better. So now you can prove who you are. And then we go a step further and we say, okay, that's great, Matt. You're Matt. I'm not going to give you a global network just because you're Matt right? I'm going to take a look at the policy and see what you're supposed to have access to at this point in time, right? Do you really have access to that service in Azure? Do you have access to that service in Azure no matter where in the world you are?
2: So down to a service level, not just a cloud endpoint level. Exactly. Every session we treat independently from a zero
3: trust perspective. We call it an app WAN, an application WAN. Like that service you're requesting, Matt, if you successfully identify, authenticate, you're authorized to use that service, then We're going to give you access to a transient ephemeral data plane connecting wherever you are to wherever that service is.
2: Yeah. And maybe just not what I'm allowed to connect to, but also what I need at that moment. Yeah.
3: That's the policy on your side, right? So depending on how sophisticated you are, let's say you're an enterprise with an IAM type solution, an IDAS solution, right? You may be very sophisticated. Like Matt may be a contractor who has access to a given service on this day, during these hours from this location. Terrific, we can enforce it. Or it may be more wide open than
2: that. Or this device. This device has connection to this service. And so I, can I define my own services and apply exactly. policies to those too? Exactly. Yeah, okay. So whether, whether I'm using a service on Azure or a service that, uh, that I'm providing myself or services across multiple clouds. I can specify policies that allow... Okay, that makes sense. Now, you, you, you mentioned a phrase, zero trust. And uh, for, for those of our listeners that don't live in this world, what, what does that mean? What does zero trust mean?
3: Yeah. So again, the current dominant private networking model, SD-WAN, MPLS, VPN, it trusts the network, right? It says, hey, if you manage to get inside my bank vault, you're good. <laughs> zero trust says the opposite. Zero trust says we don't trust anybody until we identify you, authenticate you, authorize you, then we will trust that session in, in a kind of least privileged access mechanism, like the example we had, right? You have access to this, but not that. That's all that zero trust boils down to. Now, the ability to enforce that with software and make it simple and easy and cloud orchestrated, and like you said, Matt, make it so it doesn't matter if that endpoint's in Azure or AWS or GCP or AliCloud, okay, there's a lot of engineering. Or all four. Yeah, or all of them. There's a lot of engineering under the covers for that, right? But at the end of the day, you know what you have is a secure by design solution that enables a new edge that previously hasn't been connected to the internet to connect to the internet and not immediately make themselves a target of the internet.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. So I can be assured that any anything that is accessing any of my services has been authenticated by you and you've applied my policies to it. So as long as I get my policies right. And you mentioned the other term that I think maybe not everybody understands is a hardware root of trust, I think is what what you said. Can you just describe what what that means?
3: Yeah, we have a few partners who are doing really cool things on the actual silicon, where they generate an identity that's essentially a property or influenced by the properties of the silicon itself and, and the environmentals around the silicon
2: is this analogous to the way you know Apple is locking down the uh, the stolen iPhones? <laughs> well, there, so yeah, there's
3: there's trusted execution environments and and silicon root of trust. The bottom line though is you know what they're doing is they're saying, hey, if somebody perturbs that environment, then it's no longer trusted. Yeah. So it makes it really really secure.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's easier to imagine someone, you know, the, rewriting the boot ROM and changing a piece of software, but if it has to go into a piece of silicon, it's, it's, it seems you know, like negligible risk that someone's actually going to go and, and alter the silicon.
3: Exactly. And you know how it is. You, you, there's never zero risk when you try to get as close to zero as, as possible.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. So one, one of the things when you said application-specific networking or, or application networking, what that made me think of is one of the big innovations that we're seeing coming in 5G, network slicing. and I wonder if you've thought about how your solution would work in a network slicing environment?
3: Yeah, in some ways, we often get compared uh, to network slicing from like a, a microsegmentation perspective or, or even a VLAN perspective if you're a networking type person, because in effect even before we have the type of slicing that 5G enables, you can actually do it today over LTE with software-based microsegmentation, right? Because every one of those app lands.
2: Sure. I mean, that's one, kind of what you're doing, right? That's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's really interesting. So it's, it's, the, right, it's, it's the right analogy. Yeah, so, so for, for those of you in the audience that, that don't know what network slicing is, it's this ability over the 5G networks to request and then be provisioned a very, very specific uh, slice of the spectrum, so to speak, so that you could be dedicated to an application. And the reason this is important is you get sort of guarantees around that, you know, whether latency guarantees and congestion guarantees. So you can say, look, I, I need a a slice of the network that's this big, and I need it for some period of time. And it sounds exactly like what you do. So it seems like an interface to that would make a lot of sense.
3: Yeah. And Matt, it's a one plus one equals three type scenario, right? Like yeah, you can do that type of slicing with with NetFounders micro segmentation. If you do that on top of a private 5G slice, even better.
2: Right. Because yeah. you, you, you get the the hardware discreteness that the 5G is providing, but you also get the software flexibility that you're providing in the NDN flexibility. Yeah. You got it. That's super neat. So what do you see, you know, over the next 12 months. What's exciting to you in networking, but also specifically to edge, because that's what this, this show is primarily about.
3: Innovation is what we wake up for every day, right? So the fact that, and and like you said, edge is just saying that we now have a continuum of compute and we can extend it all the way to the application, all the way to the device, all the way to the edge, however you define edge, right? That's awesome. That's unprecedented. We didn't have that before. And history shows us anytime you, you put some new tools out there, so to speak, or new capabilities, people, developers are going to innovate in ways that we haven't even thought of. You know, I'll use, you know, I, I can use infrastructure as a service example again. Once AWS, Azure, et cetera, once they kind of enabled permissionless innovation, people started doing things that they never would have done if they first had to file a ticket with IT And wait for three months to get access to some server on the DMZ and then figure out how to access that server from a networking perspective. So, we like the fact that we can be a part of that from a networking perspective, right? We can take the networking friction out and enable folks to innovate without having to worry about how do I get a private network that enables a distributed compute model. And then, number two, Matt, because we've done it all in software, because we're born in the cloud, because we're API first, what it means is the overall solution can embed the compute, the storage, the networking, it becomes one solution. And that's a whole nother area where we're gonna see a tremendous amount of innovation. Because again, that wasn't possible before. Um, It's most analogous to what we saw with public web, right? I mean, when when web 1.0, with Netscape, et cetera, okay, you could do really, really cool things with websites because it wasn't possible before. Well, now, you know, the enterprise side, of course, has been private networks, MPLS, SD-WAN, VPN. They can't do that type of stuff before. Those type of developers, enterprise developers, they didn't have the Netscape Internet equivalent. Well, now with NetFoundry, they do. And, and more specifically, NetFoundry and our partners, now they have the ability to you know, not be limited by anything essentially other than their imagination.
2: Yeah, and you keep coming back to you know sort of enabling or accelerating innovation. Which you know if you look if you look back at the let's just say the emergence of cloud, right? You know when when Amazon first saw the opportunity to lease some of its own capacity or to build capacity that looked like its internal capacity and offered to other people, you know they had a bunch of use cases in mind. I mean, one of them obviously running an online e commerce a, a store, but I think if you look. At all of the applications that have ever been deployed on AWS, you know, some very large percentage, probably north of 70% weren't imagined at the time it was deployed. They were innovations. And even like on the iPhone, like I, I don't, I don't think anybody who built the original iPhone was thinking this would be a great way to order taxis, <laughs> right? But because there was GPS and, you know, the fast enough processor and fast enough connections and all these other things, something like Uber became easy. And so by re- removing the pain and the complexity and the deployment cost, right, which is like we're all kind of doing collectively, we're creating this platform for the next level of innovation. And I can see how, how NetFoundry is going to play a really big part in that. I think it's, it's really interesting. So anything else you, you'd like to comment on about edge computing uh, or about NetFoundry's role?
3: No, other than in your last example, Matt, I think what you articulated isn't said enough, right? It's it's really, really important. Forget about NetFoundry. It's just really, really important from an edge compute perspective. I think your analogy of the application is spot on, right? I may have dreamed of building some iOS or Android app, right? But from a cost perspective, time friction, if I had to go build the OS, build the device, <laughs> the camera, the GPS, et cetera, uh, not going to happen.
2: It, it just seems like an impossible task, right? Absolutely. And, and now,
3: again, if you look at what's being done at the edge, organizations like um, LF Edge, for example, Linux, Linux Foundation, a lot of those projects that are coming out of the open source world, Kubernetes, containerized, what folks like us are doing on the network, what folks like Vapor are doing, what other folks are doing, you're going to have an ecosystem. You know, you're going to have an ecosystem there, so that you don't have to build the OS, you know, the the GPS, the camera, et cetera. You can build a really cool, compelling application. Um, and our side, by the way, Matt, we we talked a lot about our kind of network as a service. But to be clear, we also have, we've open sourced the core technology. Uh, we call it ZD, ZD.dev. So that the DIY crowd... ZD
2: like Z.D or ZD like the like the lasagna you had for lunch?
3: Like the lasagna I had for lunch. Yes. Got it. Uh, Z-I-T-I, uh, Z-I-T-I.dev. So like the DIY crowd, Matt, right, who just has a project and they want to embed private networking into that project... They can just take the open source and they can do something cool. And then when it gets to a point and it needs to scale and they want full network as a service, terrific. Obviously, we have an answer for them. But we we do provide both ends of that spectrum. We have the open source available to them and they have a full network as a service turnkey type solution available to them.
2: That's really interesting. It, it, is there any uh, project that's been built on top of the Ziti that you, you can describe and, and point us to? It's It's pretty cool. Yeah,
3: you'll see out there on GitHub, you'll see a couple projects, one around point of sale that we thought was really cool. Uh, Point of sale applications usually have to have kind of, you know, just from a compliance perspective, they have to have like their own segmented network or even their own network. And if you're the developer, that point of sale application, you're basically dependent on other people um, to deploy it in in the right way from a regulatory compliance perspective. So there's there's an app up there where they instead use a NetFoundry SDK. Um, so that wherever that app goes, it's natively secure. No matter what they do on their on their network. So starting to see, and we just we just put this open source up there. It's it's you know in the true spirit of open source. You know we put it out there early so that 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 you know folks can really use it, have to use it, submit pull requests, et cetera. So it's it's early days, but yeah, we're starting to see some really cool stuff. And again, that use case, I, yeah, we wouldn't have predicted it. Someone else did. And that, that's what excites us, right? Anytime someone else picks up the code and does something that we weren't thinking of,
2: awesome. And, and so this, the, the open source tools use the same API as your network as a service. And so at the moment that I want to go into you know, full production or the moment I want to you know, take advantage of your global network and don't want to construct it myself, I, it's just a simple swap out?
3: Yeah, not even a swap. So there's a set of REST APIs that essentially connect that what we call ZDZITI infrastructure up to an orchestration platform, which enables the full network as a service type solution. And so the minute you want to use the network as a service, you're just going to consume that API from our orchestration systems.
2: That's terrific. Well, Galil, I really enjoyed this conversation. I really enjoyed learning about the latest in overlay networking and zero trust capabilities. It's been very exciting having you on the show and I appreciate you spending some time with us.
3: Yeah, much appreciate the dialogue. Most people get bored pretty quickly of all the networking guts, so thank you for bearing with us and ask, asking some excellent questions.
2: No, I think our audience is gonna is gonna love it. I think this is this is really innovative stuff you're working on.
3: Oh, great, fantastic, man. Much appreciated, and nice to meet you.
0: That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of the Magnificent Seven. Vapor.io, Packet, Seagate, Catchpoint, Ori Industries, Zenlayer, and NetFoundry. To get in touch with the show, email us at team at OverTheEdgePodcast.com. Thank you for listening.
1: NetFoundry connects Edge Compute Islands with a simple software-only solution. In minutes, over any internet connection, the Edge Compute Island gets zero-trust, high-performance networking. It is a turnkey solution with the infrastructure delivered by NetFoundry and as as Network-as-a-Service, and available in partnership with leading MSPs, SIs, and Edge data centers. Each network is fully programmable via simple web console or by powerful APIs and pre-integrated with every major cloud provider. Go to netfoundry.io to learn more.